Chapter Thirteen of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Invitations. Tom had a new scheme on hand and much work to do to get ready for it. Part of the work was to talk Maria into the right mood for helping. "What in the world do you want of me?" she asked. "I made no objection to your doing remarkable things. It is your nature." but why I should be dragged in I can't imagine. It is utterly out of my line. No, her brother said, speaking positively. In that you are mistaken. It is not out of your line. What I want of you, you can do. I need your help. It is to be utterly unlike a prayer meeting, you know. I don't want the least stiffness about it, and I want just as little attention paid to forms as possible." and you think I am without stiffness or form, do you? That might be a compliment, and it might not. But now, just what am I to do? Why, in the first place, you are to come. There is a great deal of help in just being there. Then I want you to fit in at vacant places, repeat a Bible verse, ask a question simple enough to be understood by everyone, and vital enough to be of importance to all, such questions as you know how to ask." In short, you want me to help conduct a religious meeting. That will be very much like the blind leading the blind. Didn't they both fall into the ditch? I don't know any Bible verses. You have just quoted one, and besides, there is time enough to learn a new one. Then I need your help very much in the matter of singing. We want to sing every few minutes. Who will lead your singing? Are you going to have playing? Yes, indeed. This is one of the main uses to which that piano is consecrated. Helen is to play and lead the singing. At least I am going to ask her if she will. Helen! One exclamation point doesn't begin to convey an idea of the astonishment that was in Maria's voice. Tom Randolph, you know she won't do anything of the kind. Why, it is months since she has been to her own prayer meeting. And do you think she will countenance anything so unheard of as a Sunday afternoon meeting at a hotel, especially where all the servants are to be invited, or that she will lead music in which they are to join? I think she will, Tom said, speaking thoughtfully. At least I hope so. She knows all about it, and she has made no objections to the plan. Well, now, you can hope until you are gray, but I know she won't do it. She may have discovered that there is no use in making objections to your notions. I ought to be wise enough for that myself by this time, but taking a prominent part in the entertainment is another thing. I know her better than that. Tom, you ask her when she comes down, and if after a full half-hour of argumentation she engages to have anything to do with it, I'll come and recite two verses and sing like a lark." This sentence was hurried to its conclusion by the sound of Helen's step in the hall. Her brother turned as she entered, and, without circumlocution, came directly to the point. "'Helen, will you play and sing for us tomorrow?' "'Sing for you? Oh, you mean lead the singing. They are all going to join, aren't they? Why, yes, I suppose so. Maria, your alto is so strong it will make a good background. Are you going to help sing?' "'As loud as I can roar,' said Maria emphatically, and with a significant look at Tom, and he, with a beaming face and a heart well satisfied with that half-hour's work, betook himself to his long room to finish preparations there. 
The plans for that first meeting reached out in many directions, and had been carefully studied. In the first place there were little notices tacked in conspicuous places not only, but odd, out-of-the-way and unexpected places. These were written in fine, round print, with dainty flourishes and graceful shadings, Praise Meeting at the Rooms of the Young Men's Christian Association, number 279 Burton Avenue, at four o'clock on next Sabbath afternoon. You are invited. There had been diplomacy in the getting up of those cards. David Parker had projected the idea, and Tom in much delight had grasped it. That's capital. I'll get them printed this very afternoon. Not a bit of it, David had answered briskly. We are poor, you know. We must economize our resources. Besides, it is not to be a printed circular, to belong to the million, but a special, personal invitation. Written, said Tom heartily. Good, I'll bring my German text into requisition then, and do them elegantly. With all deference to your skill in that line, may I get a fellow that I know to write them for us? I have been trying to catch him for some time. He is fast, decidedly. I used to know him when he was younger, and he has not improved, but he can write beautifully, and it will serve as an excuse. I see, Tom had said, with that touch of respect in his voice that this grey-coated young man from the country often called forth. I see. It is a good thought. Carry it out by all means. And in the meantime, we will pray that the invitation may write itself upon his heart. David, there are endless ways of fishing. I learn a new one of you every day. The result of this planning was that young David left his work earlier than usual one afternoon and sought one of the clerks in McAllister's store. He had a favor to ask, and he presented his claims with such an air of eager expectancy that the fast young man was won over to an air of patronage. How many of them do you want written? he asked, reading the copy attentively. Fifty? Why, dear me, that will take time. And you must have them for Sunday? Then they would have to be done this evening, and I had another scheme in view. However, that can wait, and I would rather like to accommodate you, even if it is in such a queer fashion. You stick to the old track, don't you, David? It agrees with you, too. I never saw you look better. Well, you can depend upon me, I'll have them ready for you when you call tomorrow. Now there was another result growing out from this. Not ten minutes after David Parker had gone his way, the clerk at McAllister's had another call. One of his fast companions came, proposing a ride into the country and supper at a certain hotel, and this ride and supper included mischief and peril enough to lay the foundation for ruin. Can't go said the clerk promptly, but with a shade of disappointment in his voice. I've promised to devote my evening to philanthropy, or religion, both, I guess. Anyhow, it will take the whole evening, what little is left, after business. There was much laughter and talk over this decision, but it was unalterable, for the young man, who was treading on dangerous ground and going ahead a few steps every day, had still this safe ground holding him back. His early education had taught him that his word once given, however trivial the cause might appear to him, was to be respected. So he sat at home and wrote those words on that slip of paper fifty times, though during the first dozen 
he got up as many times and stared out of the window and voted it a glorious evening for a ride and called himself a stupid fool for not having gone after all but he didn't go david parker knew nothing of this result of his plan neither then nor afterward i wonder how many of the events of our life turn on such little invisible hinges as these there was another result after which david parker had aimed and for the accomplishment of which he and tom randolph and peter armstrong prayed that evening alone in his dingy little room the young clerk sat and wrote for the twentieth time those words you are invited wrote them with many dainty and graceful variations in the curves and flourishes once as he drew a graceful little line under the you he repeated the sentence aloud i've given myself a good many invitations seems to me he said i wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea to accept one of them and see what it is like parker is the queerest fish that ever was anyhow i'd like to see what sort of people he has fallen among this can never be a scheme of his own planning he must have someone in with him i wonder where this meeting is i didn't know that there was a hall in that part of the city i just mean to stroll down there on sunday and see what all this is about i caught him david had explained to tom so far as writing the notices goes it is quite an evening's work but he is a real kind-hearted fellow likes to accommodate and is a little bit vain of his writing so now our part is to pray that the invitation will touch home to him does that mean me the writer said as he passed over the notices and pointed to the words you are invited indeed it does david said the eagerness in his heart springing up into his voice will you accept it why i don't know but i will if you won't be hard on a fellow i don't know how to act in meeting ain't used to it you see what are you up to david what are you trying to do come and see david answered with emphasis come to-morrow you will find something to enjoy and as he went down the street the glow in his eyes deepened to a tender reverence as he thought of the wonderful directness of this answer to the prayer of the night before meantime peter was at work getting ready for this meeting in his pocket he had a dozen of the gracefully written slips and as he walked down the street his eyes were on the watch for just the persons to whom to give them this was one of his experiences it was saturday evening and he stood in the bakery at the west end of their street waiting for his order to be filled leaning on the counter just at his left was a young fellow of about his own age rough in appearance and manner and gloomy looking to the last degree peter watching him furtively wondered if he were one to whom it would be wise to offer a slip of paper he on his part was looking not at peter but at a plate of little delicate tarts that were on the counter what greedy eyes he had it couldn't be hunger for actual hunger would have turned toward the piles of buns and loaves on loaves of bread he did not seem to notice them but the tarts fairly feasted his eyes whatever the cause of the temptation it proved too strong for the poor fellow the hour was late for business and only one clerk in attendance and he at the lower end of the room engaged with peter's order 
It was the work of a second to reach out two arms and hands and grasp in either hand a tart, then stuff them unceremoniously into either pocket. He seemed to have forgotten Peter's existence. As for him, he stood looking in a sort of pitiful dismay. To steal something to eat was so sad a thing to feel obliged to do. That was the way it appeared to Peter. He stood studying in his heart what to do until the clerk returned. The poor fellow meantime stood with an air of stolid indifference. Peter glanced over the list of articles, and while he opened his pocketbook, said, in a loud clear voice, You may add two tarts to this bill. How much are they? Two tarts? said the surprised clerk. Oh, you mean you helped yourself to them? All right, they are ten cents apiece. And Peter added twenty cents from his own pocketbook to the amount due. He was leaning carelessly against the door during this transaction, and at its close he turned suddenly to the fellow at his right and handed him a slip of paper. Here is an invitation for you, he said in a kindly voice. Will you accept it? Then he shouldered his basket, opened the door, and went out. "'Will you come?' he asked, as the young man immediately followed him. For answer, he faced about and stared at Peter in the moonlight. "'You didn't take no tarts,' he said. "'No, but you did, so I paid for them. The man ought not to lose the price of them, you know. Besides, I couldn't bear to have you steal.' If he had expected gratitude, he was mistaken. "'Your conscience is mighty tender,' he said gruffly. "'It was nothing but two mean little pies, and he had lots of em. "'But I don't want you to do my payin' for me, and I ain't got no money to pay you.' A bright thought struck Peter. "'If you will come to that meeting tomorrow, I'll consider it square.' "'What do you want me to come for?' "'To have a good time. Will you come?' "'You're a queer chap,' was the muttered answer." but I ain't afraid of you, nor of no trap that you can set. Yes, I'll come, if I don't get took to jail for something before that time. So this was the character of the recruit that Peter secured for the first meeting. End of chapter 13